This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Welcome to Super Age. My name is David Stewart. I am the founder of Ageist and your host on the Super Age show. We talk about how to live healthier, how to live longer, and how to be happier. And who doesn't want that? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash ageist, save 20% on all their products. The show is also brought to you by Element, L-M-N-T, my favorite electrolyte mix. It's what I put in my water in the morning, and it's what I put in my water at the gym. Go to drinkelement.com slash ageist and receive a free eight-serving sample pack with any purchase. Today's show is also brought to you by Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, MitoPure, the first clinically tested urolithin A supplement, which is showing tremendous results for mitochondrial health. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ageist, use the code Ageist at checkout, and save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Welcome to episode 130 of the Super Age Podcast. It is so great to have you with us. This will be dropping on April the 19th, 2023. This week on the show, I'm very happy to welcome... Brian Johnson. And Brian is doing a protocol called Blueprint. And we will leave the link to this in the show notes because you're going to want to see it. Um, We've had a lot of people on the show who are science and medical experts. Brian is the first person we've had on the show who is sort of his own science and medical experiment. Experiment's really too strong of a word. So, What Brian has done is he has abdicated really all of his health, wellness, and fitness to science. He has a team of scientists, and everything that he eats, everything that he does, his sleep, all of his health protocols are driven by science. And, um, you know, Brian will tell you, he's he's an extreme guy. He's a very extreme guy. Um, But it's really interesting to see how far one can go with this, and the sort of results that he's gotten. So he has the world's record for the greatest reduction in epigenetic aging, that's your biological age, in the shortest amount of time. Um, and, and to do that, it's, you know, it's quite a project. So he's using himself to see how far can a human optimize themselves using the latest technology and science really, really fascinating guy. So really excited to have him on the show today. But back here in Park City, Utah, um, where the Ice Age has seemed to have abated and spring is here, there are little animals scurrying around on the ground and there are birds. So nice to hear birds again. And I'm back in the gym. And I haven't really done much gym work this winter because I've been doing the ski racing thing, but now I'm back. So I'm there now not as much as I was last year, maybe three or four days a week. And I'm back doing Joel Jameson's Eight Weeks Out program, which I had tremendous success with last year. But I'm going to make some changes this year. And one of the things I learned from my ski racing thing is that when you're skiing, especially at a fairly high level, your feet, uh, you you need to articulate your feet. Like the, the ski boot doesn't really lock your foot, as you may think. It, there's a lot of articulation and sensing that goes on at the bottom of your foot. And if you're like me and you spend a lot of time in, you know, 
a Nike type shoe, there's a lot of cushioning there, which actually causes the bottom of your foot to sort of like go to sleep. And like, I don't really use my toes in the way that maybe I would have if I spent a lot of time barefoot or otherwise. So this year, um, I'm going to reduce the time with my spin bike. Um, I have a Schwinn IC4 spin bike, best thing I ever bought, excellent piece of exercise equipment, great cardiovascular outlook, but it's it doesn't really use my toes. So what I'm going to do this year is I've been experimenting with other things, um, pulling a sled, pushing a sled, uh, going uphill, carrying heavy weight, things where I can really concentrate and feel my feet on the ground. And I, I got myself some uh, this is like barefoot walking shoes. They're basically shoes that are entirely flat and they have a really wide toe box so my um, toes can articulate. And that's been really interesting. Um, you know, who knew there was like foot thinness but there is um so that's sort of what we're working on here and what, what's really nice um i think you guys be interested in is that my fitness level though it fell off quite a bit during the winter i've been back you know a little while now and it's like there's a sort of a muscular memory everything snapped back much quicker than i thought it would so i'm happy about that the first sponsor of today's show is Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, MitoPure. We all know how important mitochondrial energy is, and especially maintaining muscle and strength as we age. Urolithin A, which is found in MitoPure, has been clinically proven to increase muscle strength and endurance with no other changes in lifestyle. Urolithin A is essentially upgrading your body's cellular power grid, giving your body the energy it needs to optimize. I've been using MitoPure for a few months now, and what I can tell you is there is a noticeable change in the way my muscles re-energize after I use them. What that means is, say I'm involved in some intense activity in the gym or maybe some sporting activity. Normally, the next time I did it, my I would be you know kind of tired. I, I would be sort of gassed out. That doesn't seem to happen with this. Um, and all I can imagine is because my mitochondrial grid has essentially been upgraded. It's not just my muscles that are getting upgraded. It's all the other cells in my body because they're all powered by mitochondria. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Ageist. Use the code Ageist at checkout and save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. The second sponsor of today's show is Element, spelled L-M-N-T. Element is an electrolyte drink that contains the exact ratios of the electrolytes sodium, magnesium, and potassium to optimize our cellular functioning for mental and physical performance. Most of us understand that, you know, we need to stay hydrated. But what a lot of people don't realize is just pounding water isn't going to cut it. In order for our cells to function properly, they need sodium, potassium, and magnesium in the right doses. Element has perfected the balance. Now, of course, people with prehypertension or hypertension need to be careful about their sodium intake. But for most of us who are mindful about eating clean, unprocessed food most of the time, we may not be getting enough sodium, potassium, or magnesium. That's why I drink a packet of Element each day. If you'd like to try Element, go to drinkelement.com slash ageist. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash ageist and receive a free eight serving sample pack with any purchase let me know what your favorite flavor is i'm i'm into citrus salt what's yours we're gonna get with the incredible fascinating 
Brian Johnson in just a moment. But I want to remind people that after my conversation with Brian, we have that moment in the show, which is called Just Try This. And we're going to give you a little tip, a little fortune cookie to help you live a little happier, a little longer. And we're going to get to that right after we speak with Brian. Hey, Brian. Hi, David. So um, let me start with what is your chronological age? I left my mother's womb 45 years ago. And what is your epigenetic biological age? Well, I guess it depends on which epigenetic clock you're referring to. We've done uh, multiple clocks that, yeah. And we've also done the denudin pace speed of aging DNA methylation clock. Yeah. Yes. My my latest result on that was 0.69 for my speed of aging. Speed of aging is 0.69. And do you have a favorite clock that you like to look at for... Um, you know, just like what, what's the biological age or do you take a composite of them? On the epigenetic clocks, we did a, a six clock average. Mm-hmm. And then on the, the speed of aging, we do a three test mean spanning six months. Mm-hmm. And, and what was the, um, the average of all those clocks that you put together? The six epigenetic clocks, uh, I had a, a 5.1 year age reversal in seven months doing blueprint. And then for the DNA methylation, I reduced my speed of aging by the equivalent of 31 years. So my my speed of age accumulation is now slower than the average 10-year-old. And, and my understanding was that previous to blueprint, things weren't going so well. <laughs> That's right. That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> so, uh, give, give me a sense of the before picture. I established, I guess I got into a a life of well-being that was based upon, I had three little babies. I was a founder, CEO, building various companies, working through a challenging relationship and trying to sort myself through uh, a religion that I've been born into. So basically just trying to sort through the difficulties of life that we all encounter. And then on top of that, I think I subconsciously bought into this idea that founders run themselves ragged and do heroic feats like go several days without sleep, willing to grind themselves into the ground, all in this effort of this mythological status, you know, of a of a founder CEO heroic effort, which now looking back is quite silly to me that I bought into that. And yeah, I I think you know I did that while building my various companies, and I did a lot of damage to myself. Okay, so give me a biological um, sense. G- give me some markers here. What what did the damage look like in you before you started Blueprint? I mean, I've I've been tracking various biomarkers for the past twenty years, so I have some data on basic uh, blood panels, which is interesting. So for me, for example, if I look back several years, my at one point, my C-reactive protein was something like, my inflammation was something like 19. And optimal range, I believe, is less than four. And now I, I measure, it's almost, unless I use high sensitivity, I typically, my inflammation levels can't be identified. So it's, yeah, so that is a marker of cortisol levels. I can go back and look at data and see that they were spiked. Cholesterol, like all the basic ones, I, I, you know, sadly, I we don't have epigenetic markers that going back that time duration, 
but you know, I was also 60 pounds overweight. Uh, yeah, my BMI was high. My athletic performance was not great. My body mobility was not great. So just on all the metrics that we would, we would reference, I was not doing well. It doesn't sound like that. <laughs> um, any one of those would alarm me. Um, mm -hmm. So um, you developed Project Blueprint, um, and I have a little bit of experience with that from I think an earlier version of it. There's a there's a super um, detailed, granular version of it on your site, which we will put in the show notes. And I encourage everyone to go there and see exactly what this is. What I'm curious about is your 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 protocol. It's um, it's intense, um, but I'm sure that there were reasons that you made certain decisions. So how was it that you came about deciding, you know, like what goes into a green giant smoothie? Like, did you try mm -hmm. different things and, and how did you try them? How are you testing these things? Mm -hmm. The foundational question that I wanted to explore was, you know, when we, if we were to pose this question and say, what does technology look like in 20 years from now? You and I would probably say better. And if we were pressed to say, how better. Yeah, we'd make some ideas that we'd have more processing capacity, more compute, and you know, like we'd imagine certain things. But we would have unquestioned assumptions that our technology is going to continue continually get better. If you and I say, what do you and I look like in 20 years from now? Or what do humans look like 20 years from now? We would start with the assumption that you and I are probably on a decay curve and we're trying to slow that decay curve or somehow, uh, yeah, but we're basically working on an inevitability of decay and we're trying to figure out how to slow that as much as possible. And I wondered, would it be possible for you and I to have an imagination of ourselves if we said, okay, David, what, what are you and I in 20 years? What if we could assume better? instead of inevitable decay. How would that change the way we approach life, work with each other, deal with each other? What effect would it have on humanity? And that's what Blueprint was trying to do. And so to answer that question, I, I posed the, the contemplation, what if I could attach me, my body, myself, to the system of technological and scientific progress in the domain of wellness? And so that started with, what if I could measure every organ of the body? We could get readouts of the data. So the heart could report, you could, you could pose the question, hey, heart, how are you doing? Like, tell me how you're doing with all these different measurements and hey, liver and hey, kidney. And then we take that data, we look at uh, the best scientific evidence we can identify. And then we make a hypothesis and say, okay, this is what we think a, you know, a clinical grade protocol would look like to best care for the heart and the kidney and the liver and so on. And then we implement that. And my responsibility is perfect discipline. And which is basically, I have removed my mind as a, as having decision authority over me. And then you just repeat this process from measurement to scientific evidence, to protocol creation, implementation, and do it again and again and again. And to basically explore, could I build an algorithm that would take better care of me than I could myself? And could we attach ourselves to the progress curves of technology and science so that you and I can say, hey, what do we look like in 20 years from now? We don't know, but better. So to this decision-making process and the creation of this 
um, algorithm. There's a whole range of supplements and foods that you're eating in in, in certain um, quantities and order. Um, how much of that was? Oh, let's let's add garlic and see what happens. Oh, let's take mm-hmm. garlic out. Like how how did that happen? We started with the what we the best available science, which, for example, caloric restriction has compelling evidence. I mean, it's not conclusive, but there's compelling evidence. And so we started with caloric restriction as, okay, my diet is going to be 2,000 calories a day. Now, the question is, what do you do with 2,000 calories a day? And so the protocol we have right now is every calorie has had to fight for its life for inclusion. Nothing is randomly chosen. Uh, Nothing is just like, hey, this is a good idea. Everything has scientific evidence backing its presence. And so it's tied to phenotypic outcomes. It's it's tied to clinical markers. Everything has scientific relevance. And that's what we started with. And then we can start with the hypothesis and then we can look at my data to say, you know, what do the liver enzymes look like? We thought they would look like this with this inclusion. What do they actually look like? And same with my heart and my lungs and, and when we do imaging or biofluids. And so everything has a endpoint that we can measure to determine whether or not it should be continued to be included or whether we should exclude it. And how long have you been doing the protocol now? Two years. And are you adjusting because you're you're testing? How I should ask you: How often are you doing uh, blood marker testing? It varies a little bit, but between thirty and ninety days, we'll do a full a full panel. And then. Based on the results of that full panel, are have you been finding that you're adjusting the protocol because now you're, um, I, I love the term you use, compounding rates of improvement. So things are mm-hmm. dynamic. So are you making adjustments, you know, based on your every ninety day blood panels? Constantly, uh, I would I would say we're making adjustments, mostly improvements. Uh, I'd say most uh, the majority of things we've we've done have been. Uh, the body has responded as the literature has suggested. So I, I would say it's it's not been the case that we are overturning evidence or we're proving evidence wrong. It's that we found evidence of a certain quality, we implement it, and it's done exactly what it said it would do. And are you finding that this is very specific to you, N of one, um, or you as a certain phenotype, or like across the species? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's hard to to say. I mean, the evidence that we use is not made from me. <laughs> it's, we're using uh, evidence that uh, from other from other people, and so I'd say we're we're we've built a protocol on non me specific data, and we've applied mm-hmm. it to me to achieve these outcomes. And then, of course, we've made tweaks here and there, but the principle is on uh, scientific evidence reference. As we go about doing this, so I mean, I'd say it'd be reason we we can't make any claims on the mappability to someone else because that we just stop at the outer edges. But it's reasonable to think that the things we're doing, like prioritizing sleep, eating vegetables, limiting caloric intake, are things that other humans would also do well with. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, thank you. That was very well said. I was I was super curious about how specific these things would be to you um and and maybe in granular form they are but in generality everybody exactly i mean it, it's it's hard for me it's hard um 
okay, it's hard for me not to be tempted to say uh, it's reasonable to consider this to be mappable to other people because it's not like uh, I've done extensive genetic testing and I'm hyper-optimizing for a specific gene expression for this given thing. It, they're really at the level of caloric intake of vegetables, of proper macros. You can, of course, there's going to be personalization for a person's objectives and their lifestyle and circumstances. Yes, all those things, all those things are true. The basics, however, I think can probably be pretty safely implemented. I mean, getting a good night's sleep is probably a good idea for everybody. I bet a lot of people on this show, no one would disagree with that. Um, the- and and I, get, I, make that, I make that obvious statement because that's <laughs> most of these things are that obvious. And, and I, yeah. I make that point because we do have this conversation and a lot of people's knee-jerk reactions to this uh, are, you know, it's like, oh, okay, so you do this, but like how applicable is this to me? Uh, meanwhile, like if you just, okay, so I'm imagining I'm speaking to myself and I, I imagine I'm in the opposite seat. Um, if I were to take a, to- a sober assessment of myself and uh, I've been working on this concept, uh, the self-destructive index. And so mm-hmm. let's just say, given my genetic disposition, given the resources I have in life, given where I'm at, like given me as an individual, and given that we've implemented a protocol that's been pretty robust, and I'm able to achieve, for example, a 0.69 on my speed of aging plus these 50 biomarkers plus, plus, plus. Let's just say at this point, I've minimized my self destructive harm. Like, for example, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking excessively, I'm not smoking, I'm getting perfect sleep, et cetera. So, from this date, the baseline, anything I do that increases my speed of aging. I would attribute to a self-destructive behavior, such as eating too much food, the wrong kind of food, not prioritizing sleep, drinking excessively, et cetera. And so if I just measure how much self-destructive behavior am I engaging with uh, on a regular basis, right now it's pretty close to zero. Now, if the rest of us look at this and we try to be very sober and we look at our, just in the past week, how many times in the past week have we eaten too much food, the wrong kind of food? Have we not prioritized sleep? Have we drank maybe too much, uh, smoked, or like whatever your vices are, just in the past week to do an accounting of that and say, what is my load of self-destructive behaviors? Uh, that to me is the most significant opportunity for improvement is just identifying what we've normalized in society as these behaviors that accelerate aging, decay, and decline but we just basically don't even pay attention to them anymore because we've just normalized it where we just, they're out of our purview. And then our attention then goes to a debate on whether NR or NMN is better. Meanwhile, the the majority of this destruction is happening right in front of our faces and we're just unwilling to identify it. Absolutely. And I, this is the first time I've heard this, the self-destructive index. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I, I'm, you know, I probably, I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, I'm not as, I'm not, I'm pretty disciplined, but I'm not in your category, Brian. I'm, but I'm getting there. Um, but this idea that um, people will go into the store and they'll buy things like my favorite bugbear is like the 64 ounce Mountain Dew. Like 
what? (laughs) You're going to drink that? With what outcome are you expecting? Yeah. Why? Give me some thoughts about that. Why is that happening? I mean, I, I, David, I, I love your honesty. I mean, uh, I love the confessorial nature of your honesty. Uh, And it's really helpful when we think of ourselves as different versions. So like when, you know, if you do buy that and you do choose to drink that, there's no reason for you to have shame or guilt about that. That's just like a version of you that Mm. does this thing. And then now when you and I are talking on this podcast, you're like, I don't really understand why that version of me does that. Like, it's really not a good idea. And so we, we just acknowledge there's different versions of ourselves that behave different ways in different circumstances. And so if we take a different frame on this and we say, okay, let's imagine people in the 25th century are looking back on the early 21st century right now at our time. And they say, amazing that humans in the early 21st century did blank that changed the trajectory of human history. In the same way, we look at the 1600s and 1500s and 1800s at big shifts in their time and place of gigantic changes that were so obvious and someone just poked through. And I would hypothesize that right now, it would be our sobering awareness of the self-destructive nature of our dispositions. And it's not just how we treat selves. So it's not just the soda or the chips or the sleep or whatever. I mean, we treat planet earth in the exact same way. We're helplessly destructive in our biosphere. And it so permeates our society that we've just ignored it and normalized it. And so much so that when someone opts out of self-destructive behavior, like for example, myself, I get ostracized and hate for it because it's not normal, right? It's basically outside of the boundary conditions of what people consider to be quote unquote normal. So therefore I'm eccentric and weird and whatever the case may be. But this is what Blueprint is trying to demonstrate is um, I had this major problem. I committed this self-destructive behavior. I was helpless in stopping myself from eating too much food and the wrong kind of food. I tried everything to do it. I couldn't do it. And then one day I playfully fired myself and said, you, Evening Brian, who is the destroyer of all things good in my existence, you're done. You no longer have decision authority. And that just naturally grew to the point where I say now is I just want an algorithm to take care of my health and wellness. I know my own mind. If I give my, my own mind the, the smallest of opportunity to make a decision, it's going to make the wrong decision every single time. I just cannot trust myself. I know this. And I think that's true for most of us. I think it's all true for most of humanity. And it really is the thing that stands in the way of us becoming what we want individually, collectively, and the future. We're going to talk about a lot of other things here, but that's um, probably the most impactful thing that I've, I've heard in a long time. And I, I love this idea of separating separating these things and... Um, I'm not going to call you bad, Brian. I'm going to call you bad, bad David. So bad David got stuck in a blizzard last night and didn't get home until late at night. He was very hungry and he was rattled. And what did he do? Yeah. yeah he had yeah. a he had a bowl of cereal to calm yeah. himself down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, David, kudos to you. I mean, it, it really takes courage because, I mean, we all have such strong incentives to put forward this version of ourselves 
where we seem put together and whatever, but I just love your, your brutal honesty. What kind of cereal was it? Oh, it was a great one, man. It was, I get this like <laughs> chocolate keto crunch stuff. Yeah, right. Um, it's yeah. super high caloric. I think a bowl of it was maybe like a thousand calories of like <laughs> yeah. coconut and nuts and everything. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah. I, I was, I was down for eight and a half hours last night. I was boom. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like the, the worst ones are. I think like for people like you and me, it's the the foods that have a touch of health and wellness to them. So it's like, okay, this is not Captain Crunch or, <laughs> or uh, I don't know what the other ones, Fruity Pebbles or something. So it's not like pure cane sugar, but it's like, hey, we're okay. We don't have the sugar and we're keto friendly and whatever. And it's like, oh, okay. So I'm being bad, but I'm being bad in a good way. So I'll be really, really bad in a good way. Yeah, but I, I hear you. <laughs> like 15 grams of saturated fat. Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, what, what I found is it's it's interesting to to give that version of David a name. I mean, I'm sure he shows yeah. up at certain times, at certain places when you're under certain biochemical states. He's like, hey, David, like, you know what? Hard day, tough day. We feel pretty stressed out. We're not like, why don't we just kind of soothe ourselves with this bowl and maybe three or maybe four? Yeah, but it's a thing. I mean, it's really, really hard to navigate this complexity of being human. I, yeah, so you, you've just created a whole other meme for myself, and I I love this. Um, I, this is something I, I think is just so helpful as as we think about sixty percent of Americans over sixty five have a chronic health condition. Thirty percent have two or more overlapping chronic health conditions. It's one hundred percent behavior based. Like, and so why you know why are you doing that? Um, yeah. But this this is a really interesting. This is, I don't like the word hack, but it's a key. Um, talk to me a little bit about something we mentioned earlier, this this idea of compounding rates of in, uh, mm. improvement. And how does that come up against something, I think it's called the Hayflick limit, right? Like we can only like reproduce ourselves so many times. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, there's there's a way, I there's two ways to think about the future of potential. One is first principles thinking. And the other is zeroth principle thinking. In first principle thinking, uh, let me let me state it this way: talent is the ability to hit the target no one else can. Genius is the ability to hit the target no one else can see. So, if you're a a skilled first principles thinker. You can peel back the onion and you can find the the known things we have at the at the base level of all assumptions and piece together a, a really nice tight string of logic. But that's a very different skill than zeroth principle thinking, which is uh, hitting the target that no one else can see. Uh, so for example, Einstein's uh, special theory of relativity is zeroth principle thinking. And that space-time being relative was something that was always present in our universe. We just discovered it. And then it changed uh, physics. And so then if you say, okay, uh, zeroth principle insights, like uh, that there's a Heisenberg-like uncertainty, that DNA propagates itself through this evolutionary mechanism, that Earth is not the center of the universe. Like We've had some pretty big ones that have just changed the way we understand ourselves. And now we say, okay, so with, with artificial intelligence now a dominant player in our world, 
that has the skill set of introducing zeroth principle insights at a speed faster than we've ever had before. And so we have saw this, for example, when, when AlphaGo was playing Lisa Dahl and beat him in the game of Go. So 19-time world champion AlphaGo plays and stuns the world of Go by playing these genius-level moves that had observers uh, remarking that it was if Alpha, as if AlphaGo was from another dimension. And so we, if, we, if we just basically say to ourselves, how much do we think the world is going to change in the coming years and decades? And will this change be fundamental? Uh, will, will it be like more first principles or will it be a zero principle or what combination or what ratio of both? And so a long way of answering your question, which is I'm going to say, I don't think that history is on our side in humans being able to model out limitations with predictions. And that's especially true with artificial intelligence, where it's now breaking down uh, and opening up new areas of genius we never thought existed. And so if we just say, okay, we as humans, what we really care about is improving ourselves at compounded rates so that we're on the same trajectory as technology, what can we become? I don't see any boundary conditions for it. Like why, uh, with what confidence are we going to model out that we have the ability to say that from our vantage point right now, especially when this field just woke up and we're now applying all this advanced intelligence to it? So to me, it's a question of wonder and I'm more interested in, in opening the horizon than I am trying to model out the limitations. Brilliant, thank you. Um, I, wanted, uh, I just wanna talk a little bit granular um, on Blueprint before we move on to a couple of other things. Um, in terms of um, grams of protein a day, um, how much protein are you eating? 110 grams, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. That's great. All right. I was thinking it was much less than that. Um, and you're getting most of that from vegetable, except I think there's some collagen in there and BC branched-chain amino acids. Yeah. Collagen, pea protein, lentils. Yeah, I'm I'm vegan by choice, not by necessity. Uh-huh. I, I'm vegan by choice, excluding the collagen peptides. Okay, which I'm trying to find a vegan version of. Uh, I don't think that's po- I, I, you know more than me, but I I think you can you can get them from algae. They don't smell as good, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I've tried that. Yeah, I just got a version of it. I mean, it's just basically an amino acid profile, right? Yeah. Whether you're doing the peptides or it's uh, yeah. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, there's a couple of pharmaceuticals that you're taking and I'm mm-hmm. curious, and I'm sure you've tested, I'm not sure, but I'm going to ask you if you've tested others that are out there and, ha- and have failed the, the testing process. So, um, I see in the, the current version of blue book, you're taking, uh, 1500 milligrams of metformin every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, did you did you do an a b a before and after with any of the testing on that yeah um we uh we do have data before we do have data afterwards mm. and so i let me i guess uh expand a little bit on your question um my experience has been that in the field of health and wellness and anti-aging everybody has a different opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've rarely do I see consensus on anything. And it reminds me of 
when uh, I, I became a professional, a, a pilot, I got my pilot's license, learned how to fly. And even though I'm typed in the pl- in the airplanes I fly, I always fly with a professional pilot because when we get in the cockpit, uh, when I compare my skills with their skills, they're just substantially better than me. I may be familiar and have understand the game generally, but I'm not as fluid as them because I don't obsess about it. And so the way I've, I've thought through this is um, there's a lot of limitations of Blueprint in terms of it's only N of one. Uh, we don't have a long uh, duration of time. It's only two years. So there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical of what we're doing, and that's totally fine. Um, we also need to make decisions to go forward on this and that. And we do our best with the data we have. And so our general philosophy is our, our team looks at the evidence. It's debated robustly. Oftentimes, there are disagreements. That's expected. It's just done in a productive and constructive way. We decide, and then we just do it, and we measure data and go on. And so that's, I guess, gen- generally speaking, because a lot of people are curious. A lot of people come at Blueprint with a a disposition of they have such a strong opinion that they say, I heard that metformin should not be taken because it blunts gains in exercise. And then in their worldview, uh, the fact that I take metformin discredits all of Blueprint. And it's not taking in this bigger context of nobody agrees about anything and that's accepted. So what we're trying to do here is make decisions with the data implement it and then share the data we do have mm-hmm. to show to try to push the conversation forward otherwise the conversation just stays stuck and everyone mm-hmm. disagreeing and then everyone feeling paralyzed because there's not a path march forward yeah, very well said I, I find exactly the same thing you know there's we have all kinds of agreement on gravity <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> things mm-hmm. like physical sciences but in this it's just like yeah it's it's really hard to discern other than testing with what you're doing. Um, yeah. yeah, there's an um, you're taking um, 13 milligrams of rapamycin, but you're only mm-hmm. doing it every two weeks, which mm-hmm. I thought was very interesting. I I know some people do three milligrams weekly or six milligrams mm-hmm. weekly, and they'll take like a month off. Um, it, it, any thoughts on how that 13? I, I haven't heard yeah. this protocol before. Yeah, we're we're trying to. Uh, generate it, it's basically you're trying to generate a, res, a spike in response. Mm. So you uh, and then you want to then the half life is I believe 66 hours, and so you're mm. wanting to eliminate it entirely from the system. And so we've with this dose protocol, we've arrived at it by testing my my levels two hours post taking it on day six and day 13. So we're looking at how my body metabolizes rapamycin over that time duration. And if we truly are flushing from my system, all of it to hit the next spike, because mm-hmm. uh, that's what you're trying to do is, is you're not trying to maintain high levels all the time, spike and get out. And so mm-hmm. by then quantifying what this curve looks like has allowed us to titrate and find that response curve. Oh, brilliant. Very well said. Um, the, um, were there, have there been other pharmaceuticals that you tested there's a lot, just like a lot of stuff out there that have failed the test. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like one uh, quick side conversation, which is funny. Um, you and I freely throw words out like metformin and rapamycin and gonococcus because we're in the community together. We understand these words. I recently uh, stumbled and uh, cut open my shin. I needed to get it uh, patched up. And I went into this ER center 
and the doctor has me on the table and he said, okay, uh, great. We'll just get this thing sewn up and we'll be, you'll be on your way. And he said, are you taking any meds? And I thought, oh no. <laughs> 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 oh no. Um, what do I say? I mean, like, you know, well, actually doctor, yes, I'm taking 111 supplements a day and I'm taking, you know, six, <laughs> six different prescriptions. So I, I was like, okay, um, let me just kind of dip a toe into this. I said, okay, I'm, I'm I take metformin. And he said, the, the drug they give diabetics. Yes. Okay. That's weird, but okay. What else? Um, <laughs> I take just the statinib, the leukemia drug. Yeah. Taking that. Um, you know, he's confused. And then it, what else? Uh, well, uh, rapamycin, the drug people take for, you know, when they're doing uh, <laughs> organ transplants to, to suppress the immune system, he's like, good Lord, son, what is going on? <laughs> and so I guess it's just a nice refresher. You, you and I are talking shop in this game, but these ideas are absolutely foreign to those not in the game we're playing. And I need to remind myself all the time on the stuff is, it's just wacky to people who are not in this game and playing it, what we're doing and the repurposing and the connections they have in their minds. So it's always a good reminder to me of, of like when we go down the rabbit hole of talking shop on these specific things. Um, are you still taking the step in it? The, the protocol we did was uh, 50 milligrams of dystatinib and 500 milligrams of quercetin uh, three days in a row once a month for six months. How'd it go? Uh, as far as we can tell, it went well. Uh, we did this our first round, I think eight months ago. Mm -hmm. And so um, we've been tracking various things. So, so far, so good. Uh, we're going to do our second round, I think, starting in December, because it's basically uh, six months out of every 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, and we did that based upon a clinical study that had shown um, favorable results in speed of aging of uh, those patterns. And um, so to inform people who aren't as deep into this as we are, um, my belief is this is a senolytic. And a senolytic is oh, yeah. um, uh, a molecule that removes senescent cells. Senescent cells are so these zombie half-dead cells that cause all kind of havoc around them. And there's a whole um, senolytic theory of aging out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And like, I mean, um, it has been fun. Uh, like, uh, are you familiar with J infinity, what they've been doing with their NAD tests and no, tell me. Uh, well, okay. Well, anyways, I guess we've, um, for fun, several people that are deep in the field of longevity have created their very best guess on aging panels. Like they put together like, you know, 20 biomarkers that, <laughs> are most predictive of you know, overall health and aging, all that kind of stuff. So occasionally we've done these things for fun with partners that we work with and they had put one together of an aging SOS panel. And so we took it and I, I think I scored, um, it was uh, almost perfect. The only one being non-perfect was my, my vitamin D was like 3% off optimal range. And so I got, dinged for that. But otherwise I scored a perfect score. And I think his comment to me was I was the only person ever in the history of his test that had scored a perfect score. And so we do have our own internal set of markers. We do try to monitor these closely. The data, the ability to measure these things are not, is not perfect yet. We, they're not easily accessible. So we really have modest opinions about how we're doing. Like we're trying our very best with the data we have, but it's very experimental 
and we don't like to make bold claims. It is fun, however, when other people want to pressure test us and we do something like that. It is encouraging, but uh, I mean, generally speaking, uh, we try to be pretty modest with what we think we can state confidently we're achieving. Um, I, I want to ask you about testing. Um, you're probably the most monitored person I've ever come across. <laughs> the level of monitoring is really like astronomical, but for a, like a regular person. Mm-hmm. So what are we, what do you think somebody um, should be doing with blood panels, DEXA? Like what, yeah. what, what would you recommend? Something that, that a mortal can do? Yeah. Recently, I, uh, we've really uh, gotten into this um, Denudin Pace model offered mm-hmm. by True Diagnostic. Yeah, Ryan Smith. I've had him on the show. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we yeah. really enjoyed working with them. Yep. We we built the Rejuvenation Olympics uh, based upon their test. And so the idea, I was trying to solve two things. One is, I I do believe I'm potentially the most measured person in human history. And when people looked at that and my protocol, they would make the observation that I'm nuts or eccentric, or they would have a hard time understanding me. And they would use those kind of superlatives, just being like, this guy's whack. And so I started referring to myself as a professional rejuvenation athlete. Because when you look at LeBron James and the way he takes care of his body, no one's calling him whack. It's like, you know, he's a professional athlete. His body is his asset. And he's trying to perform well in the court. And I was trying to convey the same idea that if you if you see what I'm doing is abnormal relative to today's norms, think of me like a professional rejuvenation athlete as someone trying to push the boundaries. And we wanted to create the rejuvenation Olympics to invite other people to also have that same identity. Like, Hey, let's play this fun game together. Let's play it via points. We can compare. And so we've been using that model and I like it because even like my mom, you know, even her doing a blood panel, that's a lot of work. You have to go to the doctor. You've got it stuck by a needle. It's uncomfortable. Then you get a bunch of these individual markers of your cholesterol, triglycerides, et cetera. And it's kind of hard to act on those things. Like you kinda, it's, it's, it's a little difficult versus if you get a finger prick, you do your speed of aging, you get one number for the entirety of your life. At that level of what my mom is going to do, it's just helpful. Like, is she doing is that thumbs up or thumbs down? Like, how is she doing mm. generally? Not to say that blood panels are bad. It's just like, if my mom needs a data point, like one number to say, how am I doing in life? Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. It just gives her a nice emotional and psychological check. Like, how are things going? And I think that's really the useful thing for most people is just tell me roughly how I'm doing. I'm not mm. going to optimize to the last degree on everything. And so we like the speed of aging for that because it is responsive to a lot to interventions. Uh, it's been a, a fun, it's an easy test to do. So I think it, it making it easy and low cost for people is really beneficial. Um, you've really um, activated the competitiveness in me, <laughs> Ryan. So I've taken that test. You scored much better than I did, but um, I need about six months and um, uh, we'll do it again. <laughs> I mean, David, I, I sincerely hope you beat me. I mean, it would, it would, um, that's the goal. And that's why I share everything publicly and freely with everyone. I mean, I want people to beat me because then there's other viable options. People can say, well, I've got this option or that option and which one suits me might better. The objective here is to push the whole field forward. And you know, like I want to learn from other people too. So like, let's, let's do that. It'll be a fun thing to push the whole field forward. 
But yeah, I'm glad you feel that emotion. And hopefully it's productive in your life that you, you know, you do find increased power and strength to do your thing. And then when you do beat me, I can learn from you, which would be a great outcome. Okay. Game on. <laughs> um, I want to ask you um, uh, just again, in the interest of sort of like um, simplifying some of the protocol. So um, like in the weekly things you do for your skin. So I have here, you do total body IPL, you do a total body laser with um, two different wavelengths, you do micro pulsed laser and whole body LED. So I, I didn't even know you could do a total body IPL. Um, yeah. That's quite something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'll, um, I'll, do, I'll do something. Is this podcast on video as well as audio? Uh, we can take some of it for video. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll show you. Um, I'll show you my, the results from yesterday's video, uh, laser here. You can see my, see my stomach here. Uh, I think that's ouch. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It uh, looks like, uh, fish scales and like, I got run over by a car. Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. This is a new laser protocol we have. And so that's why my face is also pretty messed up. My neck is pretty messed up. Uh, I mean, we're we are trying to get my skin age uh, of my entire body skin age to be age 18 as measured by uh, multispectral imaging, autofluorescence, MERS scores. And so we, and or the skin is the largest organ in the body. So yes, we do a lot of effort uh, trying to achieve that. Um. Okay, so now that I know that total body IPL exists, because <laughs> I've never heard of anything like that, I've you know, you know this face and neck, I guess, um, mm -hmm. and and you have these. Um, so if if we can sort of rank these, like whole body LED, so that's that's red light therapy, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty accessible to a lot of mm -hmm. people. Um, of these things, which ones do you feel are impactful? I mean, I guess high level, the, I think the power laws of everything we're doing, number one for me, sleep. is. Uh, I shared this recently in, on social media. I've, I now have a, a six-week streak going of perfect sleep, according to Whoop. And I shared this publicly and uh, I get it was like, I had some really fun responses. People are like, OMG, I've been wearing this for years. I've never once got a hundred percent. Really? Or, you know, like, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, it's people, yeah, people really struggle with sleep. And uh, so it just, it was a, a really fun dialogue with people. And for me, a good night's sleep, the difference between hope and despair is a good night's sleep. And so yeah. when I have a good night's sleep, everything feels possible. When I have a discouraging night's sleep, everything feels challenging. And that includes adherence to the pro protocol and my emotional responses to, to difficulty in life, all of the above. But I just find that you know, Blueprint is a, a very challenging situation, but also uh, being conscious as a human is extraordinarily challenging. And just living, just existing is hard enough, but doing that on a lack of sleep is just makes it so much more difficult and painful. And so I'd say the power loss for me, sleep is number one, because sleep number one, sleep leads to uh, diet, which is basically don't eat too much, which is like the next power law. And then three is like eat the right stuff. And then everything else just kind of 
goes, you know, and then exercise, like just the basics. And then of course you can optimize down to stent analytic protocols like statinib and other stuff like that. But really it's the basics we all know, sleep, food, and exercise sets the stage for everything else. It gets the brain uh, where it needs to be. Do you still have trouble sleeping? Uh, no, I've, I basically have mastered it. For uh, for a long time, it was a night, like literally a nightmare. I I think I can. Last night was bad because I got stuck in a blizzard and I had a bowl of cereal before bed. Yeah. So I, I think my sleep efficiency was like eighty nine percent. But I'm generally like, I take sleep super seriously as like a performance yeah. activity. So I'm yeah I'm in the like ninety four ninety five percent. Um. And, yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, let's let's look at our stats for last night so we can have data. So like with yeah, I'll share mine. So, okay, so I was, um, let me look. Yes, I got three hours and five minutes of REM, two hours and 13 minutes of deep, four hours of light, and I was awake for 47 minutes. You beat me. I'm at, what, was, uh, what were yours? I'm uh, REM an hour 31, deep two hours, eight minutes. Awake one hour, efficiency eighty eight percent. Yeah, total sleep seven hours forty seven minutes. Yeah, my re- my respiration rate was thirteen point one. Latency four minutes. Well, we're gonna get really into this. Uh, resp- uh, yeah, beat me there too. Uh, respiration fourteen point one. Um. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I w- I'm I'm uh, I agree with you. Like it's a professional endeavor and. It's the highest yield activity any of us can do in life. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing works if you're not sleeping. Nothing. I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan <laughs> yeah. of Joel Jameson, um, and his I do his conditioning protocol, and he'll tell you it's not like how hard you work out all the conditioning. Yeah, that's great, but if you're not sleeping, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> none of this works. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to move on to you know some of your thoughts on the future. So. Specifically, the, the the future of aging. I love this idea of how we as humans have a terrible track record of mm-hmm. trying to project because we're we we, we think at best we think linearly, mm-hmm. um, and so this sort of outside, as you were saying, the the genius target is really sort of outside of the known. Yeah, where are you seeing this idea of of aging? I mean, I, you know, people like Kurzweil are talking about escape velocity. Um, do you have any thoughts on this stuff? I do. Um, my, the way I would try to condense this is say, first, uh, lucky us that we exist. Let's play an infinite game together. Like I didn't ask to be here. I didn't sign up as far as I'm aware. I'm just here. So I'm like, all right, what do I do with my conscious self? And then if we say what is happening in this moment, it's, it seems to me that we are in the process of giving birth to godlike intelligence in the form of AI, like in whatever form it's going to evolve into, it's clearly on a path of getting better over some duration of time. So, and it has capacities that far exceed human abilities. So it's not like we're in competition with AI. We're just in a situation where we have this phenomenal form of intelligence that's emergent, 
and we don't know what it's truly capable of and on what timescales. And so to me, I come back to only one conclusion. Our only job as a species is to not annihilate ourselves. That's it. On humanity's to-do list, we have one job. Don't destroy ourselves. And I just don't know what else we would prioritize right now. I mean, the, the technology is going to progress on its own. Like the human, the human motivations that are going to push us forward are on their way. They don't need any encouragement from anybody. But the thing that's that's the most challenging for us is, you know, the human race has a. Uh, there's a lot of evidence on humans being behind destruction and violence, and we arm ourselves with increasingly powerful weapons. And so I, I wonder, is it possible that we have a radical contemplation of the current state of reality? And this, I go back to blueprint and I say, I had this very problem with myself. I was hopelessly self-destructive in my own persona. I was incapable of stopping my own violence and my own self-destructive behaviors. I had to literally remove my mind from decision authority, empower my body and science to run my protocol. And I just had to say yes to it. But the only way I was able to achieve peace within myself and stop my own violence and self-destruction was to remove my mind. I, there's no way my mind is going to change. I'm not going to alter it so much that if I give it ability to do something, it's going to act well. It's not. It, it is an absolute rascal. And so I really think there's a moment here for us to sober up and say, we may be dancing around little teeny tiny things here and there and this and that, but like, is it really in proportion to what we're, the game we're playing right now? Maybe not. And we may need to think uh, much more fundamental ways on how to solve this. It, if I understand what you're saying here, the, the game we're playing night, right now, you're, you're talking about AI? That's right. That if you, if we basically, if you and I, David, go out to uh, space, we're looking back on planet Earth and we say, all right, let's quiet our minds. Let's try to tease out what is going on on planet Earth. Like among all the things we can talk about, what's really happening? I'd say there's three things. One, the emerging capabilities of artificial intelligence is the most important thing happening on planet Earth. Number two is the sustainability of our biosphere is in question the only home we have. And three, we humans are dangerously at each other's throats as we always have been. To me, there's just nothing else that matters. And so Blueprint is not about me trying to live to be 200. It's not about vanity. It is about trying to figure out a system where we can continue to exist and increasingly lower our probability of self-destruction and increase the likelihood of being able to create some magnificent future. I'm um, that's a heavy lift, man. Um, I um, I like to. I'm, I'm generally a really optimistic person. Um, I'm less so on those topics. Um, you know, history. But who knows? Maybe we're going to have this real come to Jesus moment. Who knows? I mean, I concur with your assessment. I mean, it is a reasonable assessment of the data. It's logical what you're saying. And this is why I'm saying that um, maybe there's an opening here for a contemplation that is substantially different 
than how we understand the world. I mean, what I'm doing at Blueprint, uh, I've let I'm letting I've built an algorithm that is taking care of me because I'm powerless to stop my own self-destruction and violence. And I fully acknowledge that. I am powerless. This is brilliant. Um, This is not what I thought we were going to get out of this today, Brian. And I love when that happens. Um, I love that you've upped the bar, um, not just for people like me, but you're upping the bar for humanity. Um, and that's great. That's really great. Um, is there anything you want to leave people with today? It, it seems to me that we occupy a special moment in time. If you, if we look back at the history of any other time we could have existed, it's a magical time to exist given the state of technological progress and the possibilities it presents. And I think every generation finds it, uh, finds there to be a plentiful number of reasons to despair and to contemplate why would anyone want to bring somebody into this awful world and to ruminate on those things. I think there is an opportunity here for something like a a Gen Zero to arise. Not Gen Z, Gen Zero. As zeroth principle future. And for this Gen Zero to be comprised of people of every age, every ethnicity, every gender, every religion, and for us to lock in and say, we care about working towards a magnificent future. We don't know where it's going. We don't know what it's going to be like. We are willing to divorce ourselves from all human norms, all human customs, all human traditions. We're willing to step out into this unknown and explore the boundaries of conscious existence. And we have this computational intelligence partner to go on this wild ride. And let's refashion ourselves, remove this self-destruction and violence that has plagued us for all this time. And you know, let's let's remap our our future. Uh, it's going to take it, it takes a minute to to really understand to fully breathe into this. I mean, it takes a lot of maneuvering of the mind to even see in yourself your self-destructive tendencies because the mind is so eager and adept at explaining away all things that threaten its ability to be in control. So just baby step into it. But I think this is our moment for like a Gen Zero-like uprising collection group. And uh, we're not powerless. I think we can actually try to harness this and get ourselves on uh, in, in the, in the, um, in the pathway of forward momentum, just like technology is moving forward with the help of tailwinds, let's us step into the same level of energy and get ourselves in that same trajectory in whatever way it takes us. I love having really smart people on this show. Um, and this has been an amazing conversation. I, I feel really privileged. Um, Brian, thank you for what you're doing. I wanted to talk, wait, 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 we haven't talked about Colonel. 
You want to tell people what Kernel is? Oh my God. Uh, yes, yeah, so I started Kernel six years ago with the objective of building a building technology that allow every one of us to easily and frequently measure our brains. I mean, Blueprint is enabled because we have measurement and data. Without that, there's nothing. We're just like haphazardly jumping through this and that. If we want to imagine improving ourselves mentally, then having a measurement device, and so we built it uh, successfully. We have some peer review publications that show it works. Uh, we we used it uh, showing uh, response to ketamine, also an alcohol dose response, and now we're working on commercialization. But it's uh, to me, it's one of the coolest technological builds of the past decade. It's a phenomenal technological accomplishment. And now we need to solve this, the the go-to-market strategy. So it's it's been one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. It has enormous potential. It's right there on the edge of before it's time. <laughs> so we need to make we need to see if we can pull this off. But it's definitely been a uh, an all-consuming endeavor uh, for all of our stakes. I hope we can make it work because having data on our minds might dramatically improve how we treat ourselves, treat others, and how society builds itself. I'm just helping to understand what is it measuring in my mind? It's a think of it like a bike helmet. You just you put on your head. It takes one minute to put on and get it situated. And it's like a pulse oximeter. So people during COVID uh, became familiar with this. If you put this thing on your finger, it uses red light and it looks at your blood oxygenation. It's that for the for the brain. So we use light. It's safer than it's proven safe. So there's no risk at all. You get more light into your head, into your brain when you walk out in uh, in the sun. Uh, but it uses light, and we're able to use that light to to understand the patterns that are going on in your cortex. So the um, how I am thinking does it measure what I am thinking? Or for example, can I? It asked, answered a practical question. So I did. Uh, I was a pilot participant in a study looking at ketamine. So ketamine's been used off-label for the treatment of depression. And the way we measure it now is, you know, a person says, okay, I, I feel depressed. And then they do ketamine, and then you report your experience with words. Like, I felt this, and I feel that now, and two days later, you, you, but you're basically relying upon these subjective measures, which are extremely unreliable. And so what we wanted to, to show is, like, what actually happens to the brain quantitatively when you take ketamine. So we looked at my brain, I measured my brain daily for five days, then during ketamine, and then for 30 days after that. So we got, for the first time in the world, a 30 plus day uh, data recording of what happened to my brain when I took 68 milligrams of, in, of intramuscular ketamine. And that really helps baseline uh, in a scientific way. You can answer that with any question. What happens when I take take blank drug or what happens when I drink alcohol? What happens when I have this kind of diet? What happens when I do this sleep? We basically don't have an easy way to answer these questions now. So our brain kind of just sits there unexamined outside of our, our introspective thing. And to, like, to, to baseline the insanity of that, imagine us trying to take care of our heart through self-introspection. Like you can't fill arterial plaques. You can't fill high blood pressure. You can't fill you know, even high, uh, low HRV. Like you, you can't, you need instruments to measure. And so the same thing with our minds, if we're trying to avoid bad things from happening to address bad things when they do happen and try to improve ourselves, we need measurement.
I'm trying to imagine. Um, it, it, it sounds like an amazing device. Um, that's, and I'm, I've looked forward to, um, I, I'm guessing there are only a couple of these things in the world right now. Um, and for now, they're probably a little pricey, but I'm, sounds like an amazing instrument because it, it exactly all these things you know they give you whenever you do anything like this there's like a on a scale of one to ten well uh, okay like, yeah that's right how useful is that <laughs> and and you and i know i mean you and i both measure ourselves well enough now i mean uh my subjective opinion uh relative to these robust measurements like it's totally not even the same game like there's just it's almost impossible to make meaningful progress working on subjective assessment. As I tell people, feelings are not facts. Yeah, they're different. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's confusing for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. We've gone a little over time here. Um, yep. Super appreciate your time and the work that you're doing. And uh, I I think my people are going to be very interested in all of this. I I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for having me. And, and uh, I wish you, David, all the best, you know, like um, really admire your, your courage and your honesty of yourself. You know, I, I sincerely hope you beat me on these metrics. Oh, I'm coming for you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you all the best. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye, Brian. Wow, Brian Johnson, um, incredible, one-of-a-kind human being. Um, I, I couldn't live the way Brian lives. I don't know if many people can. Um, I, don't, I don't know if many people should. But that Brian is living this way matches up with, you know, Brian's purpose in life. And I think that's great. I think we can probably learn a lot from what he's doing. Um, You know, and I just want to say, like, doing these Super Age podcasts is a tremendous, tremendous privilege for me. I feel the the people that we've had on the show in the last year, I mean, oh, my God, they're amazing. I just get so much out of it. And, you know, you guys, if there are other people out there that you think would benefit from listening to the show, like, forward on um, the show to them, please. You know, talking about Brian... You know, we've had that long discussion about Ozempic. We've been talking about finance. We've been talking about all kinds of stuff that I think is really interesting with a lot of people who really know what they're talking about. So um, maybe share the show. And hey, if you want to, you know, give us a five-star review. We like that too. Or, you know, leave us a comment. We're going to get with Just Try This in just a moment after a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is also brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the dashboard to your inner health. You know, we talk about this a lot, about metrics, what matters, biomarkers. The thing is, you can't take actions on things that you don't know about, and what you don't know about can hurt you. I use Inside Tracker. I take their ultimate test four times a year. I look at their biomarkers. I see what's moving from quarter to quarter, so I can see if I've made changes in my program and my diet is there something that I need to adjust? And their food first, supplement second recommendations are great. I always share the results with my doctor. And if there's something we need to go over, we do that. Get a dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash ageist. Save 20% on all their products. Speaking of testing, you know, one of the things that Brian Johnson does is he 
runs a just a ferocious battery of tests on everything imaginable in his body. Every time they change a protocol, they add a supplement, they do anything, there's always a test going on. You don't have to do everything that Brian does. You can just get inside track or do their ultimate test. That's what I do every quarter when I change something. So, um, you know, easier to do than what Brian's doing. So let's get to Just Try This. This week on Just Try This, I have a really simple, zero-cost suggestion for you. Go out and get some sunlight when you get up in the morning. What'll happen is if you go out, um, ideally leave your house or wherever you live. If you can't do that, um, look out of a big window and try and get some sun, try and get some daylight. What that's going to do is it's going to set up your circadian clock so that you'll be able to go to sleep much easier at night. It's also going to increase your mood. And hey, pro tip, if you smile while all this is going on, it works even better because it's like an epigenetic signal to your cells that everything is okay and you're going to have a good day. So just try this. First thing in the morning, go out and get some sunlight. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. We appreciate your time and your attention. It's great to have you with us on this journey. Have a wonderful week. Try and get out there, get some sun, smile, make some new friends, challenge yourself in some new way. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.